You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. We can't believe it. We're delighted and honoured to be joined today by none other than Captain Arthur Hastings himself. Actor, author, director, narrator, living legend, Lagonda enthusiast, composer of the Rainbow theme tune, and all-round gentleman, Mr. Hugh Fraser. Welcome to the show. We're so honoured that you've joined us. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me. Nice to meet you both. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for taking the time. We've, we've had a, had a bit of a, a journey to get here, but um, thank you so much for persevering. We only announced that you'd be joining the show a couple of days ago because um, I believe your 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 agent sort of okayed everything on Monday, just a couple of days ago, and the response has been overwhelming. We put we put a post or two out on the socials to to see if anyone had a question for you. You are so beloved on a global scale. You would not believe <laughs> how does it feel to have been a part of a show that's created that kind of legacy? I mean, all corners of the earth, isn't it? And for such a long time and seems to be enduring. How does that feel? Well it it, it is extraordinary the, the the reach of the show. I mean um you know, when it first came out, it was quite popular in, in England, and and uh, you know, to be expected, Agatha Christie, of course, is an extreme, extremely popular writer. Um, her plays, um, her films, and so on and so forth. So while it was it was very very gratifying to to be watched on on English telly, so to speak, when it started to go around the world, it was really quite surprising, and it does really reach every all four corners of the earth, which is which is very gratifying and and, and, and wonderful. And all credit to Agatha Christie. <laughs> You can take some of the credit yourself, I think, for that. All I mean, she's pretty good. Yeah, she's quite popular. But uh, I think it says a lot about your performance and the, the way that you all, you know, really brought the characters to life. And as Adam said, we put some posts out. We asked for some questions from people. We've been inundated with questions for you. They're still coming in now. It's yeah. yeah. People are so excited <laughs> about this. So thank you again so much for your time. And I mean, how did you start your journey with this? How did you come to be Captain Arthur Hastings? Well, in exactly the conventional way that an actor gets a job or used to get a job, because it was, I, I went to meet the producer and the director. Um, uh, we talked, and uh, then I had, was recalled to meet with David, and uh, we read a couple of scenes, and it seemed to go well, and uh, they asked me to play the part. Mm. Wow. Um, which was, uh, nowadays, I would have had to self-tape, of mm. course. <laughs> There probably wouldn't have been any any face-to-face meetings at all involved, but then things were much more human, yeah. um, and I think rather, rather better, certainly more comfortable to be acting. As long as you have to do it over Zoom, it should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom, Zoom, Zoom is our nemesis. At the moment. Yes. Um, it, it, I think it really says a lot about the way you... I mean, I know that Agatha Christie wrote the character, but uh, there's definitely a lot of the way, the way you have created the character and the, the way it was sort of brought more, should we say, given a more human touch by Clive mm. Exton and people like Anthony Horowitz and, and things. Absolutely. Cl- Clive and Anthony really did take take a, another 
few steps from from the character as in the book. Mm. Um, they, they gave they gave it so much more humour, uh, more vulnerability. Um, the relationship between Byron Hastings was developed by by Clive and Anthony in the early stages, and Bill Humble later on, and the other writers. We always begin our episodes with um, we're sort of working our way through every episode in, in in the order that they came out, and I think we're on season two at the moment. So we've just done the Veiled Lady and Lost Mine and things like that. But we always begin our episodes by doing a recap of what the White Haven Four are up to. We we call them the White Haven Four, which kind of makes them sound a bit like a terrorist organization, but but I mean, <laughs> as long as people understand. But um, Hastings, you know, everyone always looks forward to what Hastings is doing because he's mm. winning a monopoly or he's under the Lagonda. Or... <laughs> I think it says a lot about the portrayals that, that you created, that mm. you, even today, you know, 30 years later, people ask who the definitive characters are and they always point to David and yourself and Pauline Moran and Philip Jackson as being, you, you can't top them, basically. Yeah. No. Very gratifying indeed. Um, in terms of episodes itself, do you have a favourite? Do you have a? Do you have one that you're remarkably proud of? We'll allow a couple if, if you need to stretch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the one, most memorable ones for me was Evil Under the Sun, oh. actually, because uh, it was set in such a wonderful location, Berg Island um, in South Devon. Um, I remember we had to get to the island on a, on a sea tractor, which is a kind of ferry, wow. which was a really lovely way to start the day. <laughs> and the weather was beautiful. We were, we were blessed with a, with a perfect English summer. And it was it was quite close to Greenway, Agatha's home. And it was just an idyllic three or four weeks. Okay. So that was a very, a very favourite one uh, that lives in the memory. The other one actually was Curtain, the final episode. Because it was, it had so much weight in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Poirot being, you know, very ill and close to death in a wheelchair, and in fact, you know, Poirot ends up killing the murderer because the murderer is so clever. Poirot is convinced he's never going to get caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- beautifully played by Aidan McArdle. I mean, he was just wonderful in that mm. in that part. And then, of course, Poirot, having killed the murderer, then kills himself which is tragic and, and very, very heavy. Also, Hastings had a lot to do in the episode. He, he'd been called by Poirot to come come back to Star Court, which is where they met in the first place, yeah. um, way back at the beginning. And uh, he there he reconnects with his daughter, Judith, and then becomes a detective for the first time in all in all those episodes. You know, he's very much very much in, in the in the detective role. Uh, even though he's being slightly manipulated by Poirot, but uh, so so we see a very different kind of Hastings, quite honestly. Yeah. So that was very memorable, and of course the the, the atmosphere on the set was. I mean, David is well known for being very very much into the, the character, and in this, you know, he was into a very sick man on his last leg. Plus the fact that it was the end of twenty five years of Poirot, so um, it was it was quite an emotional experience. And uh, I mean, I think everyone felt it. Crew, you know, every, everyone involved felt the weight of the occasion. And your performance in that, in particular, the moment when you go in and you discover that that Poirot has passed. 
your face is you know there's a close-up on your face as you see that and oh my god the it's heartbreaking the emotion you put into a single look is just oh god it it really makes your heart stop it was incredibly powerful it's um it's it's hastings reaction to to finding him i think that makes it just it's one of the most powerful things i've ever seen in uh tv and it's one of the reasons as well why I can't revisit that episode very often. It's incredibly well acted and incredibly well <sighs> staged and produced. Um, but it's also one that I find so upsetting. And that's all, you know, all all credit to you and, um, of course, to Suchet. Thank you for upsetting us so much. Devastating us. Well, again, you know, I mean, what's important in a situation like that is the stimulus. And David, you know, even though he's not on camera, you know, re- really gives it everything. In, 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 in always, but at that time, you know, it was it was impossible not to be moved by what what you were witnessing, mm. which was David expiring. Yeah. So it was extremely moving, mm. you know, in, in, in real life as well as in, in terms of performance. How was it? to come back to the character after all that time because you've been missing for so long and I remember as as they were gearing up to say this this will be the final bank of episodes the news suddenly started to fizz that Hastings was coming back Miss Lemon was coming back Jap was coming back and the fans have been waiting for so long for that reunion and we got it not just once but twice you were in the big four as well how did it feel to be back was there was it like a celebratory, a celebratory sort of atmosphere on set? Well, as I, as I was just saying, the, the atmosphere on the set of Curtain was anything but celebratory. Mm. Was it was more morning, and that was morning. The big four was was much more, much lighter than a lighter experience. Yes, but um, much more fun. Mm. We, we had a good laugh doing that, and it was, it was good. It was great to be back after so long, and uh, it was also. I mean, it, it, the, the producers were different. The, the, the crew were different in the main part. And so it was it was quite funny in a way to be back doing it in a completely different way. <laughs> I mean obviously the script was very similar, we performances were similar, but but the, the, the kind of the atmosphere on the set and the, and the way of, the way the day worked out was slightly different. Mm. I mean the original producer Brian Eastman uh, created such friendly atmosphere. He was completely egalitarian. There was no sense of pecking order or status or anything like that. It was very much a commune, a community. And it was, it was great to work like that. And, and I think it, it showed in the, in, in the work, you know, when people are happy and contented, and they get their best work. Absolutely. People are frustrated and depressed and feeling victimized or hardly hard done by. <laughs> <laughs> it can show itself in the relationship on screen. Mm. Amazing, Frankie. Yeah, you mean... <laughs> I'm hogging. I'm hogging, Mister Mister Frankie. Yeah, share. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, we've talked a bit about your character and everything that you bring to the role in particular, and it's something that your portrayal is obviously you can you're capable of incredible heartbreak. So yeah, we've established that you broke all our hearts with Curtin. Thank you for that. But also <laughs> incredible comedy and and a lightheartedness. And we recently watched with our listeners. We did a screening of The Veiled Lady as we've been going through the older episodes, and the scene when you jump out of the glass French doors, <laughs> if you remember that, <laughs> brought so much joy to everyone <laughs> that watched it. <laughs> you had such a good laugh with it. 
And actually somebody, one of our listeners actually asked a question specifically about that scene because it was so good. It was from Rachel. She said, after watching the masterpiece that was the veiled lady in your excellent company, talking about me and Adam, shucks, uh, and listening to the latest podcast episode, the question that springs to mind immediately is how many takes it took to capture the good captain's break for freedom? All right, boys, the game's up. You to come quietly now. Officer, I want to explain. My friend and I are here at the request of Mr. Navigator. I hope this question is no way considered damned offensive. You're damned offensive. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that particular scene? I, I do remember it. I don't, I, as far as I remember, it, it could well have been one take. One actually. take you. Nice. <laughs> That's um, definitely true because when you read the reread the stories now, after having you know adored and rewatched the episodes for so so many times, as as great as a writer <laughs> uh, as Agatha Christie is, you do feel like you're missing that slight sense of camaraderie and family that you seem to have created and nurtured so well mm. in the TV series. The mysteries are, are fabulous. Don't get me wrong, but you do miss the um the Monopoly games and the uh, <laughs> the digs at um, Hastings uh, and his roving eye. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Are you still um, in touch? Are you, do you still keep keep in touch regularly with with uh, the other three? Or? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Uh, I saw David recently at a, we were with the same agent, and I saw him recently at a, an agent party, and he was very well and obviously the writing on the show is incredible and definitely the scripts are very strong but i think you do yourself a bit of a disservice to put it all on that it's your performance and your comedic Mm. timing that really sells it though because a funny line's a funny line but you're you you give it that humanity (laughs) and make it work so well so take take the credit a little bit for that too (laughs) (laughs) thank you i will i would i would also add though that it is you know, any 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 line you say is usually a response to another line, line or yeah. a, you know, a reaction to a situation, a reaction to a reaction, mm-hmm. and and therefore, you know, it was it was. I mean, my relationship, the Hastings Poirot relationship, was very much a two way mm-hmm. street. You know, it, where if, if I was able to be funny, it was because of something David had set up for me, and vice versa. So um, it, it is a you know, it, it is a, a mutual enterprise. Yeah. Well, speaking of your performance in particular, another uh, question we had submitted from our listeners is from Alice B. And she says, I would love to know when, if coming back to Hastings, there were any particular things Hugh did to inhabit the character, any particular mannerisms or ways of doing things that just scream Captain H to him. No, I can't say that I have any particular tics or mannerisms that I would practice in the, in the trailer before coming on the set. What, what I think probably does it more than anything else is you sit in makeup. And you get made up and you get your hair put in a certain way. Uh, and, and then you put the costume on. And that, that thing, really, the, the 
costume, mm. um, you know, the, the suit or the or the tweed jacket or whatever it might be, or shorts even. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, it's 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 the costume. I'd say the costume and makeup really. You had some great costumes as well. Truly mm. magnificent yeah. costumes. They are commented on often, especially your driving wear. Yes, the leather. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to keep any props at all? Did you? Keep any driving gloves? Or... No, I didn't. <laughs> no, no. Um, I wish I had. That's a shame. <laughs> we need to track them down for you. We, we can do a uh, internet campaign to reunite you with the leather jacket and the gloves. <laughs> needs to happen. We'll bring them round. <laughs> uh, the the wardrobe is uh, one of the things I wanted to get your opinion on in terms of production because I've always felt the um the the most beautiful thing about watching those episodes now is that they don't even feel as if they were made in the 80s they look like windows to the 20s and 30s they're so well produced and mm. the production design is so impeccable down to the smallest detail it, it must have been such a pleasure to have traveled back in time like that absolutely i've always been very very keen on on the 30s well, you know art deco mm. architecture and, and furnishing and so on i've always loved them and it was a delight i mean we would often go to Houses usually, you know, an hour's drive out of London, somewhere in the home counties, and find a house that was absolutely perfectly 1936 or 1935, with an owner who loved having having you know curating this stuff, and it was a joy to be uh, well on Berg Island, for example, the Berg Island Hotel, the beautiful piece of Art Deco. The one thing I would say about about the furniture and, and the decor is it looks beautiful, but it's not actually that comfortable. <laughs> 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 Those armchairs, you know, with, with the ninety degree angles and, and, the, and, and, the, and the, the, the the metal on the end of, on the end of the armrest. It's, it's not the most comfortable. You don't want to sort of loll back and watch telly in, a, in on that furniture. <laughs> And eat your pizza. <laughs> but um, I mean, to look at it is absolutely beautiful, and, and that was the one one of the big joys of doing the series to me was, was to be that close to that much beautiful Art Deco style. And we've talked a lot about the deck, the Art Deco. We talked about the, the key four characters, but there is one character we haven't discussed yet. And that's the Lagonda and <laughs> your relationship with the Lagonda. And I was actually really surprised. We had so many questions from people about mm. the cars. Actually, Nick wrote, Dearest Hastings, sorry, Mr. Fraser, can I ask what it was like to drive the beautiful vintage cars while you were filming Poirot? Did you embrace the lack of power steering, a non synchromesh gearbox and efficient brakes? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I loved the Lagonda, I absolutely loved it. From the moment I saw it and got in it and drove it, I loved it. What I loved about it uh, partly was the fact that the owner who supplied the car uh, did not keep it in showroom condition, as is the case with a lot of mm. period cars. Yeah. He maintained it in a state that it would have been in in 1936 when, it, when used as a family car. And therefore, you know, there was a sense that you, you didn't have to be awfully careful not to scratch it or anything like yeah, that. You know, you it was lived in. Just yeah. drive it like, it, like mm. a car. You could do a car chase in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
the strange thing about it was that the accelerator was in the middle, in between the clutch and, and the brake. Oh. So that took a bit of getting used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because there isn't, we've got another question in from um, Sarah Jane and Holly. Mm. They ask, please could you kindly ask Mr. Fraser this question from my 12-year-old daughter, Holly, who is a great fan and has seen every episode many times. Captain Hastings drove some wonderful cars, including his Lagonda. During the series, Holly would like to know, did you have to be taught how to drive the cars? And did they always go first time? How reliable were they? And did you have to relearn <laughs> the way you, um, you drove? We did a lot of spark plug replacement as well, so how's that? <laughs> but to a degree, I mean, with any car, you know, modern or period, you have to get used to it. Mm. You have to get to terms with it. Mm. You have to, you know, be aware of how the clutch works and, and, and the brakes and the steering and all of that. But the Lagonda, it, it, it's really tight of the car. You know, there's no sloppiness. There's no, mm. you know, everything's tight. And, and it, it, so it responds very well to quite hard driving, which is quite a bit because of car chases and so forth. And um, I, I quite liked driving fast. So Poirot could be a little bit, you know, mm. I'm exactly scared. But like, you know, <laughs> going on. Um, but so it was ideal for, for, for that. And, and very much, very much the car that Hastings would have had, I think, mm. in terms of, you know, his, his character. And he, he, I enjoyed driving it enormously mm. and uh, really loved it, yeah. Of all the cars I drove on the show, that was the best. Definitely. Amazing. That'll make a lot of people happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Obviously, there are a lot of facets to Hastings' personality. You know, he, as I said, he's, he's a comedian to a degree, accidentally, perhaps some of the time. He's also, you know, there are so many parts. There's action, he's an action star in some episodes as well, and his car chases <laughs> and jumping out of windows. Which part of him did you enjoy playing the most? Was it when he was doing the car chases and the action scenes or... The, the comedic side, the romantic side, or I, I think the obviously the things you mentioned are the action side and and, and and all of that in the romantic side indeed. But I think the thing I probably enjoyed most was the relationship with Poro. <laughs> the that kind of slightly close but distant. They they annoyed each other, but there there was a strong bond between them. So I and, and there was a subtlety there. You know, we were able to sort of. I remember one scene. I can't remember which episode it was. Where, where I'm washing up and Poirot is drying next to me at the draining board. And as I pass the, the supposedly washed uh, items to him, he a couple of them he slips back into the washing up <laughs> thing because they're not, they're not washed properly. <laughs> Um, it, it, moments like that, I love. And I mean, that was something that just came up. I mean, David just had the idea and, and did it, and it was lovely. Amazing. Things like that, the subtle, the subtle, the subtle mm. you know. The, um, it, does, it does come across, definitely, that you're almost like two halves of the ideal person. It's like Poirot is the, <laughs> is the, is the clinical, um, he's the precision, he's the, the OCD, he's the... The intelligence and Hastings is almost the brawn, the uh, the, the fun, heart. the warmth, the heart. Yeah, um, lots of people Thank have you. commented on that. You know, it's like it's almost like they complete each other. Uh, you mm. give Poirot a heart, and he gives you I don't know adventure and uh, precision, I guess, <laughs> cleanliness, hygiene, Focus. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Between us, we make a functional person. Yeah, mm. You're like the greatest married couple. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would really like to know. You're probably not going to be able to answer this. The rabbit de Liège. <laughs> when Poirot cooks the rabbit for Hastings. Is it good, Hastings? Please, do not be stinting with your praise. Oh, it's wonderful. 
tastes more, um, well, um, rabbity than any rabbit I've ever tasted. That is the juniper berries. Did they actually cook rabbit de liege for you? It looks like a really authentic meal, and I'm oh dying to know <laughs> if it's I know. <laughs> I'm obsessed I, with the I, food. I think they did. I mean, I, I don't look back on that and think, no, that was definitely not that mm. On set. Um, I finished this one. <laughs> Take twelve. <laughs> <laughs> you wiped out a whole family of rabbits in the process. But it was worth it. Yeah, that's what happened at Watership Down. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the romantic side of Hastings, uh, I think it's safe to say that he had a little soft spot for the ladies uh, throughout the show. Sometimes <laughs> the wrong ladies, perhaps uh, for you know the situation. What a stunning girl! Though. I sometimes think when I mean. That you are too easily stunned. But we know obviously he ended up with Dulcie Devine in the end, which is, you know, a wonderful story. Was there a particular love interest that Hastings had that was your favourite or one that you particularly enjoyed working on? I think that one. I think I think the, the, the one that ended up in marriage. Mm. Mm. Aww. <laughs> no, he was, he was definitely I mean, he was the latest man, unquestionably, but, but completely inept at... Uh, <laughs> I think that's an excellent way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great moment in The Dream, which um, is my favourite Poirot episode, uh, where Hastings has to make his way into (sighs) Benedict Farley's office and sort of with stealth and a pistol, uh, run around Poirot and his crowd as he's explaining how the crime was committed and there's lots of sneaking around. And it was mentioned more than once, and not just by us, that we think you would have made a fantastic James Bond. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't suppose uh, they were ever, you know, considering you. <laughs> Did you ever hear a whisper? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I think, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thought, but I don't think it's really realistic. Well, I don't know. If you sent that scene to the Broccolis, I think that you could have been in there. Yeah. Never I mean, mind. <laughs> if for any reason they decided to. Not not resurrect the series because obviously they couldn't. But um, if, if the if the story was right and the the script was right, would would you ever consider returning to the role? Perhaps a, a Hastings kind of spin off or anything like that? Would you play the character again? Do you think? Well, I mean, provided he was geriatric. I mean, if he's in, <laughs> in a dementia home, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not sure. The romantic adventures of Hastings. <laughs> we we actually talked about this before. Um, we had we even have a title for it. If you ever want to pursue this, let us know because we thought the battles of Hastings would be a great title for your spin-off. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. What a good idea. What a great title. Yeah. There you go. You, you can have romance that the uh, romance the nurses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Break out of the, the, the care home through a window. <laughs> drive off in a Lagonda. <laughs> right itself. Murder in the care home. That would be good. <gasps> care home. Like Richard yeah. Osmond. But yeah. <laughs> Speaking of books, actually, you are an incredibly talented crime writer yourself. You've got four books that you've you've published over the years. And actually one of our listeners, Ross asked if you're going you're planning to write any more crime novels because they're fantastic well i'm very very glad to hear that that's very kind please thanks very much Ross, Ross, yeah. um yeah well that's very kind i'm no i'm not the, the, uh, it's a four book series and that was the end of it okay so i, I won't be returning to Walker. Uh, it's a long way from Agatha Christie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, but talking of Agatha Christie books, you also have narrated so many and mm. so masterfully. I mean, there, there, there are times when I, I pick them up and, oh, this one's narrated by Hugh Fraser. Well, the Hastings will be great. But the Poirot as well, impeccable. Did you, uh, did you take any tips from uh, Mr. Suchet at all, or was it completely your invention, that accent? Well, I mean, I just did my David Suchet impression. <laughs> <laughs> the tip Poirot, you don't start uh, doing a different voice uh, than the audiobook. Mm. No, I mean, I enjoyed very much doing the audiobook. There's too many of them. Oh, 70-something, I think, yeah. in the end. Mm. But, of course, the, the, the beauty of Agatha Christie is her character. I mean, the, the emphasis is nearly always on the plot you know, how ingenious the plots are, which indeed they are. But what I think isn't necessarily noticed so often is the degree to which she finally defines the character. Every single character, you know, from the from the sort of the pompous major in the drawing room holding forth about this, that and the other, to the maid who just opens the door and lets Poirot and Hastings mm. in. There's a character there and and when you read the books you know, you've got it made because the, the characters lift straight off the page, and I found that very enjoyable. Must be a must be a gift if you're narrating an audiobook mm. to have those those characters as well drawn because um, it gives you more of an idea of how to play them and also voice them. Uh, you know, give them a voice in, and give them a unique Absolutely. voice and enjoy playing. Them. Enjoy mm. playing, which is which is the crucial thing mm. about acting. And if you're enjoying it, it's going well. But if you're, if you're not enjoying it, then and when playing Hastings in particular, you have arguably the best exclamations throughout the series. The genius. <laughs> so many brilliant ones. Do you have a particular favourite? Well, I'm afraid it's got to be Good Lord. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, hearing it live. <laughs> Anthony told me that he and Clive had a competition at one stage just there. Who could get the most the most number of Hastings good lords? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to them for that. Thank you to them. This is why we need the spin-off. You're allowed to say nothing but good lord. That would be amazing. <laughs> We've recently had a dirty swine. Dirty swine in the veiled lady, yes. which people took to so much that we've we've taken the sound bite and we use it pretty much all the way through every episode. <laughs> Would you deliver dirty swine? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> My words. Uh, good lords. I say. I say, yeah. I say, what a quaint little tea set. Oh, I say, yes, I say. Well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, should we do some listener questions? Because there are a load of them. I've got so many, yeah. Beauty and Deceased from Instagram asks you, um, what is your favourite Poirot or Marple book? Uh, my favourite book? I think ABC Murders. 
probably my favorite one. That's a great, great choice. That episode as well. Mm. That feature film. Why is that not in cinemas? It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> this one is coming from Ben and he asks, please ask him what it was like to be kneecapped by Harrison Ford in Patriot Games. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I say. <laughs> well, no, I mean, fortunately, Harrison is an absolute pro as far as the violence is concerned. You know, you, you mark it through in advance, you do it in slow motion, you make sure you've got padding in the right places. I mean, when I was thrown in the cellar, I had a back pad on that um, the stuntman said he had to fall off the top of a bus wearing it and he hadn't felt anything. So I was very glad to be wearing that. Wow. But then when Harrison leapt on top of me and, 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 uh, and shot me, shot, shot me through the knee, yeah, and I had a charge which, which went off, uh, I didn't feel a thing because he, he, he's incredibly disciplined and considerate, which is just as well. Wow. Yeah. So he's not a dirty swine. Dirty swine. <laughs> no, not a dirty swine. Not a dirty swine. I'm trying to get you to say it. <laughs> I remember being um, the only 15-year-old boy uh, at the cinema uh, watching Patriot Games who leapt up and went, Captain Hastings, when he came on the screen. <laughs> I never got a girlfriend again. <laughs> um, we have one from William Hussey who asked, has Mr. Fraser ever imagined what Hastings' life might have been like after the curtain. I like to think of him, Jap, and Miss Lemon getting together occasionally to toast their friend. But what about Hastings? Did he find love and perhaps even adventure again? I don't know. I think I think one of the really good outcomes from Curtain for Hastings was his, uh, the, the relationship with his daughter with Judith. I think that would have been insane. Mm. And I suspect he might have stayed in England rather than going back to South America. I, I think he probably stayed in England and probably saw a good deal of Jap and Miss Lemon. Definitely, the Senate and the Hastings were close, definitely, um, even though it wasn't much expressed mm. in, in the series. They, they, they had an understanding there because they both had to tolerate Poirot in different ways. <laughs> so I think that, that relationship, and also with Jack. I think Hastings is he's the kind of character who'd be quite happy, you know, coming up to town, going for a walk in the park in the morning, you know, going to his club at lunchtime and seeing a few chats, playing for a game of snooker in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, not, not a man who demands a great deal from life, quite, quite, quite satisfied and Beautiful. Yeah, uh-huh. that sounds like my ideal day. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you very much for the inspiration that? for tomorrow. <laughs> To touch on that a bit more, like you're, you're so right. We, we kind of observed from the rewatch in the past that Hastings has obviously a very close relationship with Poirot. He is also a separate kind of uh, co-worker, like married couple co-worker relationship with Miss Lemon. They said his work wife almost in that they they mm. share a common bond with their having to deal with Poirot, and equally with Jap as well. It kind of feels like it, there are all the different facets of his personality. I mean, he has different relationships with all all of the characters in a, a unique way. <laughs> He's it's someone to nudge in the ribs when Poirot does something outlandish. Yes, absolutely. They yeah. kind of look at each Eye other roll. and roll their eyes. <laughs> yes, there's an understanding between them. Um, how irritating Poirot can be, and yet how much they admire him as well. I mean, you know, he's mental dexterity, mm-hmm. a great deal of respect for that. But at the same time, he's a very, he can be frustrating, domineering, and um, difficult. And also an interesting interest in the case. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're very interested in the case. You know, Hastings asks all those questions, which have, have the function of elucidating the plot. You know, it's the audience gets the information that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, it, Hastings is also very interested 
Hastings is true. Hastings is you know how we're seeing the story. Every time we, uh, we as the audience seem to have a question, oh, I wonder what's happening here. Hastings will ask for you know clarification on a point or something, or, or pick up on a clue, and then we're told, yeah. So he's one yeah. of us. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and that is, you know, as far as the Christian's concerned, that is the reason she brought him into the, into the situation in order to eliminate the ask exactly those questions that you said the audience uh, have at different time. Mm. Very clever device. Um, Katie asks, can you ask Mr. Fraser if they had fun? The filming seems like it would be a blast, and I'm hoping they all had a wonderful time together. I think many people want to know if you were all pals offset, because as you said earlier on, when you're filming Evil Under the Sun in that beautiful location, it must have been almost like a like a holiday at times. Indeed. I mean, the, we worked very long hours. We worked a six-day week, and we would often do, you know, 14, 15, 16 hours, 18 hour days. So, you know, there, there was a certain amount of strain, stress and strain, but we did get on extremely well. Mm. And, you know, guests, guest artists who came in also, I, I, it was all good fun and, and good humour. Mm. And, and yes, it, it was it was great. It was great to do. It was very, very enjoyable. Mm. And Philip and I shared a dressing room. We, we shared a trailer um, and we had a good laugh as well, just, you know, because Oddly enough, with filming, you do spend quite a lot of time in your in your dressing room in your trailer. Mm. We would we bonded very strongly. Oh. Amazing to be a fly on the wall in that trailer. Wow! That's, yeah, yeah, I would literally have made tea for you all day. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, we we chose the share. We, we could have had separate ones. Uh, in fact, I think we did initially, but, but then mm. we, we chose the share one. You know, because it didn't go on so well. Oh, amazing! That's lovely to hear. Yeah, it's so nice to know. <laughs> The Turkish Vegan asks, are you surprised to know you're a bit of a heartthrob to some, if not all, of the show's fans? Yes, I am surprised. Very, very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. It's, I think it's only fair to warn you, uh, Frankie does have a rather large crush on you. So. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> in case you uh, in case you get any messages later, then uh, I'll be sign good. F, then, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Beecher asks, what is your all-time favourite memory uh, from the filming? Is there one that stands out? I think it would be probably what, what I, even under the sun. It was it was it, it being on the on the mm. on the balcony of the hotel, the, the Berg Island Hotel. Mm. I think whether it was lunchtime or, or break in the afternoon, but there was a break where we just sat on the on the on the, on the balcony, and somebody was I can't remember the name of the actor, but he was he was being very funny, and, and we, we 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 just started to have a laugh, and, and it was beautiful weather, incredible view, lots of lovely people around, and I, I just thought this is as good as it gets. Wow, that's, that's a pretty a good job. <laughs> <laughs> that's so lovely. <laughs> Amanda asks, please ask what his favourite role would be, specifically a role in a t- movie or TV show that is already out there that you wish you could have done. Are there any characters in the lexicon that you wish, oh, I, I think I could have played that one? Um, Apart from Bond, which we've established uh, is a missed opportunity on the Broccoli's part. <laughs> <laughs> let's get that, that rumour going, let's get that casting done. Well, the role is free. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting question. I'm going to be quite honest about this. I, I never became an actor because I was burning to play a particular part, you know, Julius Caesar or, or Romeo. Or, I, I just, I've always kind of fallen through life uh, and, 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 and things have just kind of happened to me just through happenstance. And I've been incredibly lucky as an actor. 
And, and so I can't honestly say there is a role that I, I, I've learned to play or that I, that I ever learned to play. Whenever I got a part, I would think, oh, okay, um, just approach it, you know, <laughs> something I had to I had to get together. And, yeah. and, and as we've said about Ace, it's very often, particularly in the television series or, or in the film, indeed, a role will develop based on what you bring to it and what the writer sees and what, you know, what the director sees and what the producer sees. Things can develop. So a role can, t- as, as with Ace, can turn out very differently from what I read in the first episode and I read a couple of books, reread a couple of books to, to get an idea. And, and the Hastings I saw in those books were very different from the Hastings who, who developed over the next few years. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good question. And, and I'm sure there are other actors who would immediately leap on things that they, you know, learned to play still. But I, I've never really felt like that about it because you began in music didn't you in telltale and famously you um you had a hand in creating the the rainbow theme tune which to this day i can still whistle it's one of the most <laughs> iconic things ever i wondered because you were the flautist right and you played the flute and yes, I did. yeah um have you ever had a bash at the poirot theme with the flute? <laughs> <laughs> that would be way tempting and could you maybe try it now if you haven't <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, my, my flute playing has, has um, it, it's very interesting because I was never a flute player. I was always a guitar player or a bass player. Bass. I mean, that's how I, what I did for, for, for a job around that time. But um, a friend of mine had left a flute, uh, a wooden flute, a, a folk musician, and left it at my flat. And, um, you know, I think we just got bored of it all. We didn't want it anymore. It was very old and tatty. And when we were trying to write the theme, we had a go, we had a session, and we didn't come up with anything. So we, we, we went home with our separate ways. We were getting together at a party that night. And when I got home, I picked up this flute, which I didn't really play, started messing around with it, and came up with that, that theme, that phrase. And I remember I saw the guitar player Hugh 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 Portnow that night at the party, and I said, I think I might might have something. Maybe you know, so can we get together tomorrow and have a go at it? And and we worked it out together the following day. We went to the studio and did it. I I was recording the theme on on an old flute, and I wasn't using the right fingering. Was playing it like a penny whistle, you know, just going up and down, one finger after the other. And, and somehow or other, I managed to get it in tune, uh, which was but the achievement. It wasn't until after, uh, I thought after, you know, the theme sort of became popular, I thought, well, I'll, I'll play the flute. Yeah, you know, and I took a few lessons. I realized what the fingering should have been. And I then had all the flute that worked. So I was incredibly lucky to get away with it. <laughs> Again, luck that, plays a part. It's all about luck. Everything, everything. Oh, just natural talent. Hopefully, yes, but but luck is irreplaceable. It really is. You know, it happens down. Being in the right, the old, the old phrase, being in the right place at the right time is absolutely. Well, I have a message here from, oh my goodness me, Jailita Sanchez, and she's written from Colombia. And she says, I would like to congratulate Hugh Fraser for his incredible performance as Hastings. When you watch the series, you can feel a perfect match between Poirot and Hastings, which is what we mentioned earlier. You really feel inside the book. Definitely the best cast ever. Was it hard to achieve that chemistry on set, or did it come naturally? It came naturally. Yes. I mean, David, as is well known, takes his work incredibly seriously. And when David arrived on the set, Poirot had arrived on the set. And my relationship with him, you know, just, just happened spontaneously, almost immediately. Um, we, well, in fact, as I said, you know, when we did a, read, we did a reading, my audition, basically, 
um, you know, the chemistry was there. And then when we got on the set, we had the costume makeup set and all that, then we were just, we, we slid into it quite naturally. Mm, amazing. We never talked about <laughs> it. I mean, we never, we never said, well, I'm going to be hitting to this, why is that? Mm. It was, it was, and of course the writing was so good. You know, we had very good writing to, to, mm. to work with. So, you know, the scenes were just, we were to, um, talking about Clive Axton the other day. He seems to be one of the most undersung, just not even writers, creators as well. He, I watched the ghost story for Christmas that he did, which was um, Stigma set at Avebury, which really was quite a piece of work. And mm. Poirot, of course, um, Jeeves and Worcester was one of his as well. He seemed to just have such a gift for making, I don't think it's comfort food. It's more like it's just ultra appealing television what a genius. <laughs> I'm surprised people aren't talking about him more these days. He was a lovely man. A really, really lovely man. Was he? Yes, we, we, we got to know each other quite well. And, and he, you, you just felt he was completely supportive. You know, if, if, you, if you went with him, went to him with a, with a question or a, a query or something that he didn't feel was really working, it, it, there would be no sense of, no, just a minute, you know, this is my script and you just have to do it. It would be absolutely, he'd be right with you making adjustments being completely supportive of this fight. And as the artist as well. They, they were enormously responsible for this game. Oh, that's good to know. What a man. What a legacy. <laughs> well, legend. Nella Badger asks, if you could play anyone else in the Poirot series, maybe try your hand at a different character, who would you play? It have to be Miss Lemon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay all the money. Take all the money, <laughs> please. I, <laughs> I think you definitely suit those curls. Yeah. Yes. You, definitely. <laughs> filing system, you know, the filing cabinet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. talking, talking about your, um, your phrases, we've got a question here from Kelly, who says, I'd love to know if Hugh found himself using any of the fantastic Hastings phrases in real life, or did any other cast member love a turn of phrase so much that they continued using it? Do you find yourself good lording much these days? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's no, we problem. do a lot. Yeah, we're, we're always my, my wording now. <laughs> I say. <laughs> no, I'm afraid my expletives are slightly less palatable and then rather more crude. <laughs> Oh, I want to hear those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, as we touched on in the very beginning, there is so much love for you out there all mm. over the world. The Truly, the fandom for Poirot is incredibly passionate and engaged. And, and you know, for your portrayal in particular, as we, we, I think Adam said, we had a question from Colombia that came in. We had one from Iran saying that apparently Iran, Poirot is a very popular show in Iran even more popular than the Sherlock Holmes TV series, apparently there. And so many people just wrote in messages to say thank you so much for your incredible performance and for all of the joy and comfort you've brought people over the years. It's so lovely to hear. Thank you. Thank you to you too. And thank you to the people who sent their messages. It's really heartwarming and gratifying. Thank you so much. We, when we announced that we had some news on Monday, because we didn't want to you know, say that, we have Mr. Hugh Fraser coming on the show, believe it or not, <laughs> until it was confirmed, you know. But um, Monday, we put a message out saying, very special announcement coming very, very soon. And people were instantly, please tell me it's Hugh Fraser coming on the show. Yeah. Please tell me you've got Hugh Fraser coming on the show. And when we finally sort of put the word out a couple of days later, people lost their minds. They were so over the moon. Got a message here from Amanda Schofield. I just want Hugh to know how much he's loved as dear Hastings. We've got one from Sybil St. Jude saying, please tell him how loved his portrayal is. To have portrayed both humour and such pathos, bravo. 
Please also compliment him on his narrations. They are a big hit in our home to this day. And we've got loads more. <laughs> yeah, we could go on for another hour probably with all the praise that came in for you. Um, we'll, uh, we'll record them all and send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever need to pick me up, you can just play them. Yeah, if you're having a blue day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't want to take up your whole evening because you've been incredibly generous with your time and it's an absolute dream to meet you. Honestly. I don't want to put you on the spot, but would, would you consider coming back for one of the later episodes just to just to have a bit of a reminisce about him that'd be great thank you so much <laughs> well i don't really know what to say but thank you so much you've been such a massive part of my life i've watched poirot mm-hmm. since the very beginning when i was at school and i was the only boy the the, the uncool boy who liked the 1930s detective program while everyone else was watching grange hill and i adamantly you know shared my love of it with the teachers because they were the only ones I could really talk about Sunday night television with. I would just like to say thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And it's absolute dream to meet you. You are, without a doubt, one of the most stunningly talented actors. Um, and I am so pleased to meet you. You are, you are, you live up to the gentleman uh, that is Hastings in, in more ways than I can even express. How am thank I supposed to much. follow that, Adam? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just say cheers, Hugh. Same. <laughs> <Put the finger. laughs> Thank you both very much for it, for, it, for all the things that you said. It's heartwarming and incredibly gratifying. And I'm very grateful to you for asking. It's such an honour to have you. Yeah, embarrassingly, Hugh, we're toning it down <laughs> because truly, it really is like it's made. I would say it's made our year, made our lives. So honestly, and you know, you have been such a constant presence, not only in our lives but in so many of our listeners and the people over the world. So thank you so much for it, for for being you and for everything you've done, and for as they giving us your time, a lot of your time today, more time than we possibly anticipated today, yeah, getting to this so point. <laughs> so very, very grateful and. I hope, yeah, we unfortunately we're going to hold you to that and bring you back at some point, whether you like it or not. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're wonderful. Love you. <laughs> if you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey, gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Ari Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shotty King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Barrow, Steve Arkett, Thomas Bell, Jim and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. 